Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned with Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us now. Let's get started. So we can sometimes have the idea that once other parts of the relationship start to really work, like our mindset, our values and communication, that intimacy will naturally then just fall into place and work perfectly. And we're going to be exploring this today because what we find in our work is that that just isn't the case. And this is something that you're going to really want to understand if you're looking to improve your relationship, particularly around the intimacy and sexual uh, side of the relationship. And we're delighted to be joined today by Dr. Tara, who is joining us. She is a tenured professor of sexual and relational communication, award-winning researcher and sexual communication expert. I'm really excited, looking forward to this conversation. You can find out her work all over social media. Uh, She's been in lots of different magazines, Cosmopolitan, Women's Health, and she's also has an an incredible uh, relationship coaching business. And she's launched a podcast as well, Love Bites by Dr. Tara. And yeah, so firstly, warm welcome, Tara. Welcome, Tara. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here with you, Matt and Rebecca. Great to have you today. And we, yes. you know, we, we love your work. And the first question I was going to ask you is, how did you come to be doing this work that you're doing? How did you get to be so fascinated by this area of relationships? Yeah, so I'm going to tell you and your audience a little story. Uh, I'm originally from Thailand. So I grew up in Thailand, uh, a very sexually conservative environment. And I would say, would both of you say the same that you grew up in quite a sexually conservative environment? I would. Where, you know, sex isn't really talked about uh, in your family. Um, Did your parents talk to you about sex? It's not really, it wasn't really the thing around my family dinner table. I've got to say, it it was pretty much off the agenda. Even at school, like even school teachers didn't really want to go there. So, yeah, I would say. It was definitely a taboo in my family. For sure. Same, same here, same here. So it's, I think it's not just me. I think this story resonates with so many people is that uh, growing up in my family, no one has ever talked about sex. My parents never talked to me about sex, never taught me anything about sex. Uh, I never had sex ed at school. So no sex ed at school. Therefore, sex is out of the window. So uh, when I became a teenager and start feeling, you know, the sexual desire, the unintended arousal, right? I was thinking, what the heck? Like, what's going on in my body? And I think all of the teenagers hitting puberty felt the same way, right? For male, uh, for like boys, it's easier because you just kind of see your erection. But for girls, it's kind of confusing, Like, oh, all of a sudden you felt things in your nipples. All of a sudden you felt like you want to use the bidet a little longer. (laughs) And it was just this curiosity that I had since I was a teenager of like, what, what's, what's going on? Cause I was never taught before. Uh, And, you know, at that time I was uh, watching a lot of media, a lot of uh, television shows and movies and, you know, in TVs and movies, right? Let's talk about it, uh, this a little bit. In TVs and movies, they rarely show a sexually active person, uh, especially women, as a good woman. So women that were sexually active, that were unapologetic about pleasure, that were speaking up, were seen as like this wild woman, uh, unmeritable, um, not a girlfriend material, right? And then like the good girl who's like innocent and slightly like uh, uh, maybe a virgin, maybe not, but definitely very innocent and never talks about sex in an assertive way is seen as the girlfriend material, the wife material, right? So even in our media is already separated and all of us consumed this media. So girls growing up, it's always like, don't act sexual. You don't want to be the bad girl, the bad woman, right? So I grew up with a lot of that like guilt and shame just embedded in how I feel about myself sexually in relations to others. Um, And then, you know, fast forward to uh, me coming to the United States for graduate studies. So I came here first for my master's and then I stayed for the PhD. But first I came here and I came to Los Angeles. So it's uh, quite a contrast when it comes to embracing your sexuality as compared to Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, in LA, uh, there's a lot more people talking about sex. There's a lot more um, 
young adults, uh, you know, expressing themselves sexually in different ways, face to face, social media. And so when I first came here, I was like, wow, this is uh, this is refreshing. You know, I, I never thought that that's okay. And that accepting your sexuality and talking about it all the time is okay. Uh, and I started doing it a little bit more and it felt very, uh, it felt very good. Uh, but I have to admit, like even, you know, from my early 20s, my, I consistently was in a failed monogamous relationships, mm. one after the other. And I think that a lot of people can resonate. They get into a relationship, they date for maybe a year, maybe two years, maybe even three years, and then they break up because things just don't work out. And for me, a lot of times, the thing that didn't work out was that sexual chemistry, was that lack of sexual compatibility. But at the time, I couldn't pinpoint. I didn't have the awareness. I didn't realize that that was the problem until I was in my PhD program, which was four years. And this was at Arizona State University. And I studied with my professors who were uh, really well-known people that studied attachment theory, uh, the professor that came up with affection exchange theory. So in the PhD program, I realized big time that there are research and studies and theories that explain my life and my relationship issues And I was blown away. I was like, whoa, I want to study this. I want to be the person who knows these things so I can help teach others Mm -hmm. uh, about these things. So that was kind of my first spark. But fun fact, uh, in the PhD program, one of my friends also took me to a sex shop for the first time. This is PhD programs. I was older. Uh, Took me to the sex shop the first time to buy sex toys. Uh, so before that, I've never owned a sex toy. So like that was the first time. And uh, at that time too, my friend, uh, one of my best friends now that we live together, she and I were watching a lot of sex in the city. And what better way to introduce me to American culture than watching sex in the city? Uh, so I was watching a lot of that. And uh, I remember vividly. Have you guys seen sex in the city? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I remember vividly uh, seeing Samantha Jones being very sexually unapologetic. And I thought, even it's a fictional character, I thought, how can I become more like that and speak up for myself uh, and live and be in a passionate, loving, close, intimate relationship Mm -hmm. where there's no disconnect when it comes to sexual intimacy? So that was my goal then. I landed my dream job as a professor at California State University, Fulton, and I started teaching sexual communication class and relational communication class, and it's been really rewarding. Uh, but I thought, how can I teach more people? How can I, how can I teach the mass? So I uh, started my coaching business two years ago so I can work more with the mass and not only teaching college students. Uh, and then I started my podcast last year so that more people can hear uh, me and my experts, like you guys being on my show, uh, talking about intimacy um, and sexual wellness and mindful relationship and just normalizing that talk so that all of us can be in a beautiful, passionate long-term relationship yeah that's really that sounds great inspiring i love that story and um, i was curious uh dr tara when you said about how you know when you started learning these theories you recognized some things that maybe hadn't made such sense before that you struggled with and i'd love to hear an example of one of those sort of insights that you got from those studies that made you realize hey there's something about me here that isn't quite working as i wanted to Yeah, so I'll give two examples. The first example was when I started studying attachment theory and understanding secure versus insecure attachment styles like avoidant style, preoccupied, uh, fearful. And then I realized that I was exhibiting uh, a lot of preoccupied attachment style, which is like an anxious attachment style right? Uh, Due to my former relational trauma, someone cheated on me, right? And then we broke up. Like, I mean, someone cheated on me and then he left. So in my heart, and that was like when I was, you know, 20. So I was young and, and all of that, I blamed myself. Like, what is wrong with me and my character and who I am that this person didn't even find it worthy to stay, right? And that stuck with me. 
that really stuck with me. And I think millions of people uh, have relationships when they were in early 20s that stuck with them. That's so in my late 20s, when I learned attachment style, I realized like, oh, I'm preoccupied. And therefore, when I'm dating a secure person or maybe even an avoidant person, uh, I can be annoying to them. Mm-hmm. I can be seen as needy to them. I, I can be seen as uh, maybe a nagging. Maybe I want too much, Absolutely. right? That's right? Find your own stuff, right? Like, so that's kind of my first revelation of like, okay, so I need to fix myself. Uh, I need to learn how to work with my relationship anxiety due to all the relational trauma I had. And I worked with a therapist, like you guys, uh, it wasn't a couple. I wish I had a couple <laughs> that taught me. Uh, that would be nice. But I worked with a therapist when I was like 25. And it was, it was amazing uh, because I worked on myself, right? And then when I show up as a whole the next time, I felt a lot more confident in where I was at. And I felt a lot more secure. And I also know that even if this thing doesn't work out, even if this person and I break up is not because of just me, it's just incompatibility. Mm. So that was my first revelation. The second was on affection exchange theory. This theory takes on like Darwinism perspective and uh, that evolutionary perspective, stating that communicating affection effectively is for survival. And people who don't communicate affection have lower life longevity so they die earlier due to, of course, like loneliness, depression, all of that stress, right? That reduces your life expectancy yeah. um, as well as they don't, they're not seen as suitable mates by people because they aren't able to communicate affection effectively. And I mean, we can probably agree. We see a lot of emotionally unavailable people. Mm. Right. There are a lot of emotionally unavailable people that really are terrible at communicating. Even if they feel love for someone or attraction or interest, they don't know how to say it. They don't know how to communicate it properly. So this theory states that uh, if you don't work on communicating affection properly, uh, you will be seen as a non-candidate, basically based on evolutionary theory. So to me, I was like, okay, I was overwhelming people. So that's ineffective in communicating my affection. And I had to relearn on how do I honor my own, you know, affection style, but also is coming off as effective for other people. Mm, I guess it. that's really powerful. I, yeah, it's, it's a really powerful concept that, you know, if we don't learn to express that affection or love, then it's going to be difficult to have a successful loving relationship. It's a nice way to to frame it i love it i love everything you've said tara i definitely believe that the attachment theory is at the core of any issue in relationships this to me is one of the foundational things i love everything you explained i also resonated with a good girl and and later on also with a bad girl right i wanted to ask you do you come across people with do you often see people who have been repressed sexually? So they've been the good girl. And then mm-hmm. later on in their life, everything comes up at once and they become the bad girl because all this repression needs to come out somehow. Uh, do you oh find people like that? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, I have uh, the majority of my female clients come in. They want to work on expressing themselves sexually. They want to feel sexy. They want to come off as a sexy woman, right? Because they were sexually dormant for so long and the good girl for so long. So uh, they're like, oh, I'm just, you know, I, I realize that it's me. I realize that maybe I'm not enjoying sex or just intimate relationship with other people is probably because I don't feel comfortable in my own skin uh, and I'm hiding. Right. I think that's a huge aspect is like, how can you stop hiding? Hmm. How can you express your sexuality? You're a woman. You're very sexually powerful. Right. Uh, Yeah. You can give so much pleasure to a man. Like how, how can you embrace and love that and not think it's a chore and not think you are a toy and not think you're an object. Right. That's a very good point, Tara, because that's what I wanted to ask you as well, that do you find that sometimes there's a period of like a transition period where people can move 
from good girl to really naughty girl. Uh-huh. And finally to in between, you know, like sexy, naughty, and mm-hmm. also good girl. Like, you know, some people say that they are a bitch in bed, but they are uh-huh. a lady outside. So uh-huh. there is a transition <laughs> period that you think Uh, yeah, I think what you're saying is a lady in a streak and a freak in the sheets. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that was from Ludacris, but I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, you know, um, the way I coach women, particularly on balancing their sexuality um, and their tendency to be nice right? To uh, communicate, be nice, um, be accommodating, but at the same time, be sexually assertive and initiate sex more because if that's what they desire, uh, I typically ask them, you know, if, if tomorrow, right, your dream guy and whoever it is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be your husband. Just like, let's say it's Brad Pitt <laughs> uh, comes into the room, right? And this is, the, let's say exhibit A. This is a woman that says she hasn't had sex with her husband for two years, right? And she feels she has low sexual desire and that she does, she just doesn't feel like sexual, right? I say, okay, tomorrow, uh, Brad Pitt comes into the room, right? Looks right at you deeply, right? And like, flip his hair <laughs> and then said, you know, uh-huh, let's say, and then say, Amanda, I want you. You're so sexy. I want you so bad. And then ask you, can I kiss you? Uh, if you say yes, right. And you start kissing and, you know, you start going on through this sexual script of like a passionate interaction. Do you want to have sex with him? <laughs> and typically the answer is yes. So the desire isn't the problem. Right. Because if if another per- it's not that you have something clinical going on, like you don't have low libido. It's the whole context of who is uh, being present in front of you and your relationship with them. That's why you don't feel like they're a good candidate for sex. And that's why you feel you have low libido. You don't have low libido. You just don't want to have sex with the person you're with. What would you say so, to that person in that situation, Tara? This is a very important yeah. point. We come across yeah. this a lot. What would you exactly. say to a person like that? Exactly. You have to work on awakening your own sexual desire first. Mm. And then I typically, if it's also if they feel like the other person has a blockage, I typically recommend them to see a coach or therapist, especially like a couple like you guys. Then mm-hmm. they can both come in and work on this specific sexual issue which is one person because a lot of times what i've heard and i'm going to be honest here is uh, the wife or girlfriend is saying well my husband let himself go and i don't feel attracted to him what do i do i'm just not attracted to him right and especially after i give that brad pitt example it becomes very clear to them that it's not their low libido they just they're not attracted to their husbands Right. So in this case, I said, okay, like sex is typically 70% yourself, 30% your partner, because if you can turn yourself on, if you feel good about yourself, if you feel sexy, you'll start initiating sex more. And it's through modeling behaviors, right? Modeling behavior is so powerful. If you want someone to do something, you don't just ask them to do it. You model the behavior. So if you are feeling confident, you show yourself sexually, you initiate sex, it inspires your partner to be like, "Ooh, wow, she's looking so sexy recently. What's going on? You know, and then like perhaps in a, a true loving relationship, he will also feel inspired to improve himself and show up more sexually. That's a very good point that I love it. So many lovely ladies, beautiful ladies, they show up. You know, they're ready. They're looking beautiful to go on that date with their husbands. And then their husbands show up like going to shop in the warehouse. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, at the end of the day, do you feel like it's effort? Right? It's like the lack of effort that I see. So, you know, when people are like, oh, we have sex issues, this and that, like maybe it's just effort issue in general. Mm. it's a great point I I think things can change over time as well I don't know whether you hear this sort of in the people you speak to but where you know maybe when they first got together there was a kind of alignment and they were both making an effort if you could say but then over time maybe one of them isn't making so much effort and then you have this growing apart phenomenon where 
it's like well I look at myself and I look great and I look at my partner and to be honest they don't look that great you know man or woman um and then there's a natural knock on to that isn't there that's so true Tara I definitely recognize that sometimes maybe let's say the weekends I can feel like best friend with Matt. Matt is my best friend. I love him so much. (laughs) And then some other times when we go on dates, like in St. Valentine's, oh my God, he was looking amazing. (laughs) Those shoes. I was ready for everything. So it's just the dynamic changes, the energy changes from best friends to to do it now I'm ready I love that you said that and that's the effort part because what if he showed up distracted t-shirt and shorts and just like yeah let's like I'll take you out to eat let's go like a trivial thing right if you he doesn't make it a thing like how we're going on a date right and that's the thing that people forget yeah Right. I mean, you, you guys uh, specialize in people that are in relationships too. And you see clients are in long, long term relationships, especially that like in the literature, there's that five year hump, 10 year hump, 15 year hump. So I think that 10 year hump is huge when it comes to sexual intimacy. Uh, and when I say sex, you know, I want to give a disclaimer. I should have said this long time ago. When I say sex, I don't just mean penetrative sex. Mm. It's everything else. It's like, how long do you embrace each other, hold each other, right? Some people don't even hold each other for five minutes. Jeez, you don't have five minutes to hold each other and look at each other in the eyes. You know, that's sexual intimacy too, Mm. right? You can't just expect no touch all the time, no touch. And then when you touch, let's have sex, penetration. Like you have to have touch in your life, right? Holding each other, uh, gazing, all of these things as a repertoire in your relationship to make sure that the passion is there. So again, like when I say sex, I don't just mean penetrative sex. I mean, every sense of this sexual intimacy, feeling close. Mm, For sure. That's right. I love it. Makes sense, Dr. Tara. Um, I was going to ask about you. One of the things I know you talk about is about being sexually powerful. You you talk about Mm -hmm. taking control and stepping into your sexuality tell us like what you see is the key components that when what does that really look like what does it mean when you're being sexually powerful yes so I kind of break it down to three components the self and then self with the other and then the community so uh, the self is you feel sexually confident you have high sexual agency meaning you are able to communicate for your desires You're able to communicate for what is pleasurable to you, what is not. You're able to communicate uh, how much sex or how little sex you want in a week or a month or a year. Uh, So you are able to show up for yourself and you're able to honor yourself. Uh, That also means like working internally. Like, do you have high or low sexual Mm self-esteem? Some women, when they have sex like let's say a sexual encounter they try to rush to the end right maybe they have an orgasm maybe they don't but they try to rush to the man has an orgasm right ejaculates and like oh okay the sex is done now i have accomplished something uh that is not honoring your own pleasure you know if you need more things like if you need more foreplay to warm up to feel more wet to feel more aroused like you have to be able to speak it. And that's a huge part of working towards becoming sexually powerful. Um, mm. It does take work for sure. It took me years, but it's mm. so worth it because now I honor my body. And now when I have sex, it is amazing. I feel great about myself and my encounter with my partner because of the work that I've done. So I think it's totally worth it. So that's the self. And then the other is becoming or being sexually powerful is being a generous lover right? What's the point of being powerful when you don't share? Right? That's a, that sounds like a dictator. That sounds like people that just get wealthy and then keep all the wealth for themselves. Like, no, you know, becoming, uh, being sexually powerful means you share with others. So to me, being a generous lover is a big part of my identity. How can I pleasure you more? Oh, you want, uh, if you want me to go down on you, like I'll go down on you. I'll learn, you know, what you feel, like what kind of suction you like, what kind of touch you like. And then I'll make sure when I go down on you, it's spectacular. 
right? Uh, I make sure that I give a lot of love, a lot of kissing throughout the day, a lot of holding hand, becoming uh, a generous person when it comes to intimacy and sex. And I think that's a part of being powerful, not being selfish, not just being powerful. It means being generous. And then lastly is community. So being sexually powerful means you help others talk about sex and feeling more comfortable about sex. So if you feel like you're now sexually confident, you have great sex, talk about sex more to your friends. Talk about sex more to your family. Help them, right? Because so many people are in such a tragic um, relationships issue, uh, like they haven't had sex for three years. I just talked to someone who was didn't have sex for three years in her marriage, finally got a divorce, is uh, now on her, um, she, she called it sexual road trip. Like literally, she just go, goes good. on and, you know, she talks to people. And if there's a spark, she has casual sex and she embraces that now in her 40s. Mm-hmm. After years, a long time of being dissatisfied, with her sex life. So I think, you know, because people have sex issues and they're so afraid to talk about it. When you are the person who is confident, who feels good about yourself sexually, you should be the person that help liberate people around you. And I think that's a part of being sexually powerful. Mm. That's right. I completely agree with you. That's right. You need to lead by example, basically to inspire your partner. That's what mm-hmm. say. I am curious to know, uh, uh, Dr. Tara, do women come to you because they feel a bit of like a shame of their bodies? They don't feel confident in their bodies and that prevents them from having that sexual freedom that they want and expression. You are on point there, Rebecca. That is uh, one of the biggest issues for females with lower sexual self-esteem is they don't feel they look good. That's right can't even take their clothes off and stand confidently in front of an audience uh, with lights on, Mm. right? And maybe they say, oh, I just prefer lights off in general. Okay, like that's fine. If it's a preference, that's fine. But if it's actually a preference, it means you can do it the other way too, right? If you can't do it, if you have to turn the lights off to get naked, we should work on that. I completely agree. That's right. This is when you start letting yourself go and really dying sexually rather than just Mm -hmm. showing up and expressing yourself as you were saying. And how are you going to inspire your partner? He's going to be the next one in abandoning himself. And then we're going to blame them. But how are we living? Yeah, you made a good point because it's, it's modeling each other, right? So a lot of couples, they let themselves go together. And at some point, 10 years later, they're feeling like it's too late. It's never too late. You can always come back and work together if you really change your mind. Like we're, we're so powerful. Like, I mean, humans are powerful. If you change, you're willing to change, you can do anything. So including, you know, inviting passion back to your life. Exactly. So many, uh, so many people become parents. That's what we hear all the time. Oh, we are, we feel like we're only parents. We're not a couple anymore. Mm-hmm. Now they are a team, children, family, but they're not dating anymore. They're not having playing anymore together. Mm-hmm. They're just parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No play, just parenting. That is a huge problem for people. And you know, I have a pretty active TikTok account. And one of the videos I said, so if you're together, but you don't have sex for a long time, are you in a relationship or are you just roommates? And so I I post that question, right? All of the comments are saying roommates. Mm. And that becomes, you know, and a lot of comments say, well, what, what do you do when you have kids? I mean, just like anyone else, you prioritize and make time. You know, I'm sure these couples that are saying, gosh, our kids are always there, da, 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 right? I get it. I, I get it that I know kids are so much work and there's no way I would discount that. I completely understand that situation. What I would say and what I usually ask is, okay, Is there like a time in a day where maybe you're scrolling your Instagram for quite a long time, maybe up to 30 minutes? Is there a time where you maybe sit down and watch television for an hour, maybe two hours? Maybe that can be a good time 
to be intimate with your partner for just 15 minutes. And intimate in, in different sense, not penetration all the time too, right? There's many things. I want to say that a lot of times because people always tell me like, I don't have time to have sex as in like penetration. Like there's so many other things you can just cut, like you can touch each other, you can cuddle, you can both masturbate. There's so many ways to be creative when it comes to sexual intimacy. Mm, so point. yes, you have 15 minutes. Yeah, it's a great point. You know what we do sometimes, uh, Tarek, in quite a similar way. I don't know how the stats are there in, in the States, but here in the UK, the average amount of time that t- people watch TV in a day, well, can you guess? Uh, what, what do you think it would be? Ooh, uh, I would say like an hour. It's actually a bit higher than that. It's more like four hours. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you, you think, um, obviously, that averages out over people. Some people are watching a lot more, some people a bit less, obviously. But it just gives an idea that there is quite a bit of time in the day. And, you know, maybe some of that stuff is like work critical and, you know, absolutely essential. But is it possible that some of it could just be sitting there and, you know, could be maybe used in a better way? So definitely, uh, I love that that challenge to people. Like, you, you say you haven't got time, but really, do you have time? What else are you doing? I guess, I guess when people are when people listen to uh, to this podcast, uh, they are gonna start changing those four hours watching TV for a big uh, birth rate. Yeah. <laughs> Very I soon hope we're so. gonna see the birth rate increasing. May well do. I May hope well so. Do. And I mean, like, I mean, yes, it's okay to have a show you love, and that's your recreational time, and that's completely fine, right? I'm not shaming people for watching TV at all. I love watching TV too, but maybe that can be limited to one episode instead of four, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then sad. spend 15 to 30 minutes uh, cuddling, touching, and mutual masturbation or maybe sex mm, it's certainly worth considering isn't it let's leave that to people to to consider and, and ponder yeah over please and ponder uh, we're not please watching ponder. TV. <laughs> 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 only one episode let's just say one episode <laughs> and you can do both <laughs> you can do both i like you know sometimes uh we'll be uh watching an episode of tv and maybe i reach over and i like you know touch him a little bit to like get ready and then after the episode we go to the bedroom and then we fool around a little bit so yeah you can totally do that too we're gonna yeah, take some notes definitely reach over rebecca <laughs> i'm ready dada <laughs> Are you ready, Mati? I'm ready, yeah. It's not, it sounds, oh, yeah. sounds like fun. Yeah. That's uh, Spanish in her. She's like, I'm ready. She's ready for anything. Yeah. <laughs> not sure about the scene. Maybe even during this podcast recording, maybe we'll, we'll see. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right after this oh, yeah, podcast. Cool. <laughs> I always encourage people to be naughty. It's fun. Like, we're adults. We forget to be naughty. Like, when we were exactly. young, we misbehave all the time. Exactly. I love Play, misbehaving. Yes. Yeah. Making the rules. <laughs> oh you're so spicy yeah I wanted to ask you know you did this research I'm really fascinated obviously with the the work you've done academically you've had the chance to do this like big research project of your own but talking to lots and lots of people about sexual confidence sexual esteem sexual satisfaction I'd love to hear you know what were the biggest takeaways from that what did you learn from that Yes. What I've learned is there are three really strong, I mean, uh, if you're into stats, it's a very significantly uh, predicting sexual satisfaction long-term. And these three factors that predict sexual satisfaction long-term are uh, number one is sexual communication. Number two, sexual self-esteem, which is related to your sexual confidence because confidence is uh, external, how you project yourself. Self-esteem is internal, how you feel about yourself, right? So it's, it's intertwined. So there's that self-esteem, uh, confidence, intertwined variable. And then lastly is sexual mindfulness mm-hmm. is the ability to be present during a sexual encounter. So these factors are huge when it comes to predicting long-term sexual satisfaction. And every person I talk to, they are missing something in this equation. I see. When you say sexual mindfulness, is is that obviously mindfulness is like a big thing, you know, meditation and so on. Mm -hmm. How does sexual mindfulness specifically relate to or is similar to general mindfulness? 
Yes. So sexual mindfulness is the ability to remain a completely present during a sexual encounter without judgmental thoughts. So for example, when you're having sex, a lot of people have this issue, the issue of busy mind. They're thinking about something else while they're kissing and cuddling and trying to have sex with this other person. They're thinking about something else. They're thinking about the chores, the bills, tomorrow, to-do list, right? So that's a lack of sexual mindfulness. So what is sexual mindfulness is the ability to be with your partner. And the non-judgmental part comes in where uh, you are able to not judge yourself and the other in this situation. For example, maybe you have sex and maybe, maybe your partner doesn't come, right? I think a lot of women feel bad when their male partner doesn't come. Uh, they're like, oh, what's wrong? Uh, you know, let me try more. Let's do more sex. Let's like, I want you to orgasm, right? Um, like sometimes they just don't. Maybe it's medication they're on for the week. Maybe it's an injury. Maybe it's very stressful. They're about to get a promotion. I don't know. There's so many life situations. So how can we be less judgmental during that uh, sexual situation, mm-hmm. but it's mainly the presence part because so many people have that issue. The let me think about my to do list issue. Mm-hmm. Some people watch TV. There's I talk to some people they uh, have sex and when they're doing uh, sexual penetration, they're watching TV. That is the lack of oh sexual mindfulness. And yeah, like you said, Matt, the way to practice that is through meditation and breath work. But in this case sexual meditation, sexual breath work. There are practitioners that uh, teach these things and there are videos on YouTube. Uh, I have a list of sexual meditation videos on YouTube as well under Love Bites. That's that's a... So like that's honing your sexual mindfulness skill. Mm -hmm. What would you say, Dr. Tara, to those guys who, who, who make sex just like another goal, you know, the masculine energy is all about achieving, uh, get it done, go for it, get it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. pro- um, providing. But this providing thing sometimes become getting in when it comes to sex. They mm-hmm. are just doing sex, like doing something else. And they have this goal of getting to the outcome, which is having an orgasm and doing the intercourse. What would you mm-hmm. say to those guys? who completely forget that they have their beautiful, lovely partner in front of them and they don't even realize whether they have come, they haven't come, they enjoy, they didn't enjoy. They don't even didn't ask them for what they like, what they need, and they're not gentlemen. They're not opening the door to the lady to come out of the car, you know. No, they just go, they have their orgasm and forget good luck the lady. She's there all dirty in bed. She didn't come, she didn't enjoy. And the guy is ready to to smoke his cigarette. Mm-hmm. What would you say to those guys? Yeah, listen, if that's your behavior... There's no luck for you in long-term sexual satisfaction. So it's time to change. And when I say change, you don't have to go and do, you know, 180. You can do gradual changes. Uh, A lot of times, you know, I hear people say, shivery makes me wet. Have you ever heard of that? (laughs) Maybe it's an American thing. But a lot of uh, like American women, like my friends that I talk to, they say, shivery makes me wet. Meaning like when a guy is being a gentleman, it's arousing. Right. And sex isn't just that like five minute before penetration. Sex is everything. It's the whole, it's whatever you did the whole day leading up to sex. Right. If you were an a hole for the, the whole day and neglecting your wife or partner for the whole day, and then at night you just expect them to open their legs and have sex with you and enjoy it, I feel like that's really selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there has to be someone that kind of, for the lack of a better word, you know, punch them in the face and say, listen, this is not going to work. And in the long term, I swear you will not be happy. Mm -hmm. You won't be. You'll feel this void inside you 
uh, that, you know, you realize like being this person is not serving me anymore. And I hope that one, that day, that realization comes earlier than rather than later. Yeah. So it's a really great point. I, I love the way you stated it earlier. And, and I guess in terms of your formula, this is where the person is not being generous. You know, they're just really no. about, you know, right. maybe they're asking for what they want and they're clear on what's going to make them feel good, but then they're not giving or thinking about the partner. So totally imbalance, isn't it really? And being a generous lover is so hot. You know, asking her what she wants is so hot. So like if you were, you know, asking her, if you've never asked before and you start asking her tonight, like, hey, do you want me to go down on you? And maybe the woman too has to work on herself too. A lot of women decline that because they don't still don't maybe don't feel like they deserve the pleasure or, you know, they don't want to bother. Like most women are so nice and they have what is called people pleasing behavior, right? They feel bad. Like it's a bother if the guy has to go down on them for five minutes. Right. So it's learning to accept like you are worth that pleasure and he wants to do it for you. It's a it's a team for sure. Takes two to tango. But yeah, guys, definitely ask her what she wants and definitely ask her if this feels good. Spend please spend more time doing foreplay. It shouldn't be like just the five minutes prior to penetration. Like foreplay should be all day. I love it, Dara, what you said. Some ladies, they just don't want to bother. And, and on top of that, they not only they don't ask for what they need, they like, but they also are, they are allowed giving everything to their partners. Really mm-hmm. making sure that they are compensating for the lack of self-esteem by doing everything their partners want them to do. And they mm-hmm. don't receive anything. Yeah, and then become oh. resentful. Exactly. Exactly. And blaming the partners. Well, yeah. What did they create? It is uh, a dance, right? Exactly. Uh, I was going to ask you as well, uh, Dr. Tara, why do you think it is in our culture, in the way that we're educated or grow up, why do you think so many people struggle in this area of intimacy to have, you know, rewarding, satisfying relationships? That's such a great question. And the reason why we're generally bad at this is because no one has ever taught us any of this we were taught i mean we were ta- we were taught uh, chemistry and math and other other things i mean they're valuable right but we were never taught just basic healthy relationship skills hmm. never right the fact that it is not a part of the family conversation and it is not a part of education is problematic. Mm. And I think it's great that people like us are speaking up in the podcast, in you know, social media and in public spaces because it allows more people to hear, listen, this is necessary. And I'm hopeful that in the near future, people who are responsible for education and curriculum for private and public schools uh, learn to embed healthy relationship class into maybe middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. I think it's so necessary. I think middle school is great because it's puberty time, a lot of confusion. Uh, I think a healthy relationship class in middle school is is a must, a requirement. It's a great point. I don't know how things are in the States. I'm not aware of any real move towards that here. Um, I know when I was at school, there was a little bit of sex education, but it was more about the reproductive side of sex. It wasn't really about anything (laughs) to do with the relationships. I remember some of my teachers had a few kind of wacky ideas about relationships that they decided to just share randomly, (laughs) which which are quite amusing to look back on. But but in terms of a proper understanding, it's true. It's not really there, is it? Most of the time, we're just observing what our parents are doing and right maybe they're doing amazingly having an incredible perfect relationship but generally they're not you know they're having their own no no uh in the united states one in five people have experienced a divorce so i mean if you go into a restaurant half of the people i mean one one fifth of the people uh are divorced once or maybe twice, three times, right? right? So it's so common. And I mean, especially our generation, like I'm in my 30s, uh, our parents' generation, uh, a lot of people in our parents' generation stayed together. So they didn't, they, they didn't get a divorce, but they're very bitter. Mm, that's right. And we observe, right? We observe and we model 
you know, how, can you imagine living your first like 15 years at a household where parents don't touch, mm. where they don't kiss? Like, then you learn to think coldness in a marriage is normal. And that's, that's cool. not the case, right? That, yeah, that's right. And then the pattern just rolls on, doesn't it, into the, the next Gosh. generation? So, so yeah, often. yeah, we got to change it, change it with that, break the cycle. Exactly. And, and as you say, great that there are people out there like us giving people the opportunity to rethink this stuff and reevaluate. So um, I, I wanted to ask about pleasure. You know that you talked about being sexually powerful earlier and obviously sexual pleasure is part of that being satisfied, as you say. I'm, I'm curious whether you've got any thoughts around, um, you know, another big thing that people talk about is like addiction, you know, sex addiction, love addiction, porn addiction. Just wondering where you think people can run into trouble in that respect with this whole thing around pleasure gosh yeah uh there is the ted talk i think called the great porn experiment um and in this research he found that porn addiction can be can desensitize young males and therefore uh cause them to experience sexual anxiety aka erectile dysfunction so people, you know, watch porn recreationally and they didn't think that it would contribute to anything. That's false. If you watch too much porn, it can contribute to sexual anxiety. And in males, it manifests as ED. In females, it could manifest in other ways, like lack of uh, orgasm, lack of pleasure with an actual real life partner. So let's talk about it. Let's say, uh, what, is, what is porn addiction, right? If you have to watch porn, Every single time you masturbate, every single time, or else you cannot orgasm. That's a porn reliance issue, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, am, I don't want to say addiction because we're not clinically diagnosing people yet. But I would say that's a problem. You know, if you watch it every single time, it's a problem. You're unable to use your imagination of real life sexual encounters and you can only be stimulated visually and audio on a video, uh, it becomes an issue, mm. right? For all like men and women, there's a lot of women that I talk to that every time they grab their vibrator, they watch porn while they use the vibrator as well. Uh, but it's mainly males, uh, young men, all young male have watched porn once. I see. Right. Yeah. But the addiction statistics is a lot more men than women. I see. Yeah. How about what you just said, Tara, a woman getting addicted to their toys and yeah. not being able to have a normal, like a proper sexual relationship with their partners and have an orgasm because they become addicted uh, to their toys and it's necessary for them to have the toys to come. What do you think about that? Do you get that? I think that's a good point. Uh, so, I mean, OBGYN and medical doctors have said already that there's no physical change in using a vibrator. So, no, uh, don't afraid of using your vibrator because it's not changing your arousal system or the ability to uh, achieve an orgasm. However, uh, if you prefer pleasuring yourself solely through vi a vibrator and neglecting your partner completely, I think that's problematic. Nothing wrong with using the vibrator, but neglecting your partner part is problematic. I think a lot of women, for example, I typically say, hey, uh, you can include the vibrator in the sexual uh, encounter, but don't forget your partner, right? Maybe you can go down on them while using a vibrator on yourself, and that's pleasurable for both, right? Uh, maybe when you're a lot of women, when they're on period, they don't want to have sex. Maybe they don't feel like comfortable in their body. Maybe you can use vibrator on yourself and maybe like a little um, hand job or oral for your partner so that it includes everyone. Right. And your partner can also like play with your body and stuff like that, too. So, yeah, you can use your toys. Just don't forget your partner. Mm, I, yeah. Yeah. I like that. What would you say to a woman who has asked her partner for certain things that she likes, that she would like him to do, or in this way or in this other way, and he just doesn't do it? Couples therapy. 
Yeah, I mean, sadly, that's true to so many people that the person listening doesn't uh, execute what they have listened to, right? Like, yeah, yeah, like they listen and they acknowledge verbally, like, yeah, I understand, yeah, I'll do that more, but they don't do it exactly. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a big problem, and I think this is where uh, therapists have to come in. Mm. I think it's a respect issue. When you say you'll do something and you don't do it, you're being disrespectful, right? Yeah, and that ha- should be uh, there. I think there is a deeper issue for the for the couple. I, I like that because many people say yes. I I find many women complain about the communication, and they come saying, "My partner says yes to this, to that. You know, it's all good, good communication, but then it's not happening." Or they do something different. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, sadly uh, not just about sex, right? Mm. Not just about the sex and the not doing what they say we're going to do. It's respect, right? Uh, if you really respect your partner, like let's say at work, when your boss says, uh, do this, I need, it, do, I need it by Friday. You do it, right? Mm. Because you respect, because it's your job. So in a relationship, being a husband, being a wife, that's your job. Like res- you have to respect the other person and deliver what is asked. <laughs> like if you do that for your job and you don't do it for a relationship, are you saying your relationship isn't as important? What are you saying? Right. So definitely work with a therapist, I think. It's a great point. And I completely agree with what you said that, that the, if somebody's got an issue in that respect, let's say in the sexual part of the relationship, then there's at least some possibility it could be coming out in other areas as well. You know, let's say if it's me, let's say if I'm a bit selfish or I just tend to think about me, it comes back to really what you said about being generous, you know, having that balance between, you know, looking after myself, but also thinking about the other people around me, particularly my partner in this Mm -hmm. case. So, um, yeah, I I think Mm -hmm. it's, you know, sometimes you hear a lot of talk about self-love, you know, all you need to do is love yourself and everything will be fine. Well, hang on, you've got to think about the other person as well. So it's like, it's like, yes, and isn't it? It's like, um, so, yeah. I love that you mentioned that. There is this misguided belief about self-love that self-love means radically loving yourself and F everyone else. And that's just so misguided. Mm-hmm. How can we live harmoniously in a society if you don't give a shit about other people? Exactly. <laughs> right? right? It's true. So it's, uh, yeah, that, I think that narrative of like radical self-love and then not caring for others is quite toxic and it's not helpful. Uh, I think right. love yourself and love everybody. Like, you know, love the people around you uh, mm. is so much more uh, harmonious. That's right. It depends a lot on the individual, doesn't it? I'm sure there are people for whom that message about self-love is really just the perfect antidote to their pattern, you know, but it just depends. It's, it's like so many things, you know, when you try and boil something down to be too simple, it can become absurd. You know, it can just lose its um, logic at some point. That's a great. Ah, that's a great point. Yeah. So maybe they, instead of saying just like self-love, they should say like self-love and love others. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. And the end is very important. Um, yeah, yeah. Mutual. Yeah. I was going to ask you another question. Um, I read an article a few years ago about uh, women, most of women not being able to have a, an orgasm, an orgasm like a body orgasm. They can only come through masturbation what do you think yeah so they can they feel like they haven't had vaginal orgasm and they only have had clitoral orgasm so uh clitoral orgasm um it's much easier because the clitoris is outside it's external right and you know exactly where to touch uh Vaginal orgasm is much harder, not only because it's inside and it's in at an interesting spot and different spot for every uh, female body. So uh, I think this um, pressure to have the vaginal orgasm every single time is not healthy. It adds to, uh, you know, that lack of mindfulness. 
because you're only thinking about like, am I coming? Am I coming? Like, I don't feel a thing there. I don't, like, when am I gonna come? What does it feel like? Right? You're not looking at your partner and feeling the moment. Right? You're thinking about the next orgasm. Like, what does it feel like? I think the first uh, part about the stigmatization of this is to perhaps uh, worry less about having vaginal orgasm and celebrate more. Uh, how important and great clitoral orgasm is, uh, and do more things to stimulate that part. Because at least we're already sexually satisfied when we come clitorally, right? That's why a lot of women love masturbating because that part feels great. So let's do that first. Let's let's make sure we have that. Like you know, uh, we get that down. Um, and then in terms of vaginal orgasm, it takes practice. Uh, there's still a debate in the sexuality research realm that the G-spot may or may not exist. So it's not even a fact. It's not even like something, it's not taught in like biology, right? So it's not even a factual thing. I believe it exists because I feel it. But some other women, including researchers that have a lot of research on orgasm, say they, it doesn't exist that it can feel good internally through penetration, but there's no like G spot and there's no that uh, like huge climax. The clitoral uh, orgasm is the huge climax. So there isn't like even a consensus if that's real. Uh, Therefore for lay people, like don't worry about it too much. (laughs) Take care of your clitoral orgasm and that feels great. And that's, you know, a part of your sexual repertoire. I think that's great. Uh, when it comes to vaginal orgasm and you want to learn to induce it, you have to try Kegels. A lot of us uh, female empowerment coaches that I talk to uh, always recommend Kegels. Uh, not only it's for vaginal health, but it's, uh, it helps the contraction of that pelvic area. Uh, you know, the, if people listening, if you don't know like what that feels like, uh, try peeing and then stop peeing. Oh, yeah. that's, that's what you do. Yeah. So try that. Maybe when you do sexual meditation, try it for like two weeks and then maybe have sex, have penetrative sex and see if you can contract during penetrative sex. And maybe it will help induce vaginal orgasm. But hey, don't forget about your clitoris. <laughs> that uh, sounds great, uh, Tara. I got another question, very typical question that ladies come with this problem, some women. And it's that some women are trying, couples, some couples are trying to have a baby, to create a baby. And I'm mm-hmm. saying specifically this word, to create a baby. Mm-hmm. What they're really doing, including the woman, is to produce a baby. So the baby is mm-hmm. not coming. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, uh, biologically speaking, an orgasm isn't necessary, isn't necessary uh, for reproduction. Like, and we know that, I mean, biologically, we know that historically, there's a ton of people getting pregnant without having ever had an orgasm. So an orgasm is pleasure, is connection, it's the deep, passionate feeling closeness with your partner. So it's not necessary for reproduction. However, I think a lot of couples get into this uh, routine of only measuring ovulation and only having mechanical sex during ovulation for no pleasure just to reproduce. Um, That can become problematic. Not only that it's not sustainable, Obviously, after you get pregnant, then what? There's no more goal, right? Then can you go back to just having sex for pleasure? Now that you don't have a goal, do you feel like you fall off the rail and like you can't ever uh, have sex again with just pleasure? So I think that thinking of having sex just to reproduce uh, is problematic. And if you are listening and you are in this situation, it's okay. There's always change, right? Maybe start doing couples meditation together. Maybe start writing each other love notes and then start practicing like having sex for just pleasure and not when you ovulate alone. That's a great point, Tara. I love it. But the reason why I ask you this question is because in our relationship breakthrough program, we talk a lot about feminine energy and masculine energy. The masculine energy is the energy that that mm, that makes things happen, you know, that provides 
And the feminine is energy is the one that creates. And when both energies come together, it, it creates this spark and this attraction, by the way. And from that spark, babies come. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that sometimes women can be in their heavy masculine energy that they can also do masculine behavior. And because they are doing, in doing both, in getting it done, create, um, produce the baby, as you said, reproduce the baby, mm-hmm. they are actually trying to <laughs> to allow that soul to come by doing and, and doing. It's almost like two masculine energies together. Mm-hmm. So that's this part doesn't point. happen. This part doesn't happen because it's almost like two men making a baby. But what is the, fem- the feminine energy allowing that soul to emerge, creating a new life? I love what you just said. Yeah, like I've... Uh... I've never thought about it in that sense before, but I would agree that a lot of women forget their feminine side and, you know, that femininity, it's so powerful. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Well, it's been really great to have this conversation. I've got one final question and just practically, I know you've shared some amazing stuff already, uh, Dr. Tara, but um, if people could take maybe three things away that they could put into practice or things that are just going to make that bit of a difference? What would you like to leave people with? I love that. Three things you can start doing today, right? To enhance that that, uh, (laughs) sexual energy between uh, the two people. The first one is compliment each other more. Compliment each other more. Uh, People in long-term relationships can get into this monotonous life and they forget to compliment the other just based on their, you know, energy, based on their beauty, based on their sexuality. So when I say compliment in this case, I want to be a little bit more specific. Not only like you're so good with the bills, (laughs) right? So not those sexy compliments like, ah, your butt looks so good today. Like what Rebecca just said about you on Valentine's Day, like compliment each other more. That creates more sexual tension within a relationship. Uh, I always tell my partner, you know, how like handsome he looks, like he has amazing hair. He's got great butt, (laughs) like, you know, just compliment each other more. You can do this today. Uh, Number two, touch more. And do more nonverbal outside the bedroom. You can start this right now, right? Instead of just waiting to touch and be touched in the bedroom five minutes prior to sex, that's not okay. Uh, Let's set the tone in the relationship that touch is a part of our relationship toolkit. Don't forget to touch outside of the bedroom. So this is the nonverbal communication part. Mm. And then lastly, you can start doing it today, is having a sexy check-in. And I want you guys to do it right after this call. Uh, (laughs) Having a sexy check-in. How are you feeling about our sex life right now? Right? And then uh, I'm a quantitative person, so I ask my partner to rate it from 1 to 10. (laughs) And if, you know, there's life stressful stuff going on, maybe an injury, like he has had a hand injury last month. Uh, so I asked him, like, how uh, how do you feel about our sex life right now? And he said, you know what? For the last two weeks, it's been kind of hard. So I would say six. And I'm like, OK, OK, I understand because like your hand hurts, you're on pain medication. Um, what can I do to help you make it a seven? Just one point more. How, what can I do to? Yeah. Taking accountability together. How can I help to help you help yourself? feel a seven rather than six right now that we're experiencing this injury. Um, So yeah, have a sexy check-in. How do you feel about our sex life right now? And if you find it hard to speak in words, try one to 10 and it will allow more conversations. Nice and simple. I I love it. We need to start checking right now. We'll do it. I'm I'm ready. A sexy check-in. We'll we'll take those away. I'll let you know, Dara, how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) I would say mine is most of the time 9 or 9.5 to 10. That's good to know. You're you're, you're walking the talk then. uh, Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us today. Really appreciated your insights and wisdom and sharing all the great work that you're doing there so um i was gonna ask finally though how can people keep in touch with you or find out more about your work 
Yes, you can uh, visit my website is lovebites.co, L-U-V-B-I-T-E-S dot C-O. That's also my social media as well. Fantastic. And we'll include that in the show notes as well. So people can follow you, reach out and find out more about uh, about what you're doing. So any final comments? No, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Dara. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. It was fun, naughty, playful, free, <laughs> really nice, really engaging. I can't wait thank to share so with the audience. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. And, you know, don't forget to play. <laughs> Okay, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us. And please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review. Who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message? Share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life. See you on the next episode.